1: Could start at Genesis 1, we just don't have time. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9 To whom will he teach knowledge? To whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just taken from the breast? For he says, Order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. He who said to them, Here is the rest, give rest to the weary. Here is the repose, but they said, We would not listen. So the word of the Lord to them will be order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there, that they may go and stumble backwards, be broken, snared, and taken captive. Amazing, isn't it? And we've heard this taught before, line upon line, precept upon precept. But notice because they did not want to listen, verse 13, God reverse engineers it order on order, line on line, a little here, a little there, that they may go back and stumble. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 Verse 1 In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Kadosh, 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 or holy. Holy, holy is the Lord of the armies of heaven. Now, if your translation says the Lord of hosts or NIV, I believe, says the Lord Almighty, the actual translation is Adonai Tzvaot, which means the Lord of the armies of heaven. Hallelujah. The word host there is used of the starry host, the planets, the universe, but also the armies of angels. And this is the highest name God gave to himself. Glory to God that he is the commander in chief of all the armies of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. It goes on and says here, And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of the armies of heaven. Notice here, when he was caught up in the glory, one of the greatest visitations in the Bible, next to Mount Sinai, next to Mount Transfiguration, is this visitation that Isaiah was caught up into, and he wasn't happy, he was ruined. He wasn't all excited that he found out his destiny. And that's why exactly this feel-good message that we're hearing in the North American church today is not birthed out of the glory realm. It's birthed out of an Oprah realm. That's the bottom line. People see the numbers that follow Oprah, follow Dr. Phil, whatever, and the Christian media, people have to raise a lot of finances, a lot of overhead are preaching a message to you not to feel ruined. Don't shout me down, Ralph, because I'm preaching real good. Because when you're caught up in the glory of God, you're nothing. You just want to be the scum of the earth. You can do something with your head, because I'll keep on on this spot for all day until you get it. Because I want to see the elevator go to the top floor. I am ruined. I'm undone. We're talking about godly sorrow. Why? Because I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of the armies of heaven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with his tongues, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has t- touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. We still don't see him happy, though. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? If you have an unsaved Jewish doctor, give him that verse and where the Trinity is. Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And most of us stop right there. We even sing a nice song. Here am I, send me. I believe it's a delirious song or whatever it is. And he said, "Go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but not perceive, Do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts. Isaiah six verse nine. Now ten. Render the hearts of this people insensitive." dull, their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. We're talking about an anti-revival. And he said, how long, Lord? And he said, until cities are devastated without inhabitant; houses are without people, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, yet there will be a tenth in it. Again, a subject of burning, terebeth, oak, stump remains, that's failed the holy seed in stump. So what he's saying, he's caught up in the glory realm. He's caught up in King Uzziah, who was a very strong king. The problem with King Uzziah is that he decided to become a priest and went into the temple, became a leper. But he was... Other than that, a good king, he was a strong king. His name, Uziah in Hebrew, means the Lord is my strength. That's where we get the name for the Uzi, the submachine gun that Israel makes. Uzziah, the Lord is my strength. But it was in the year that he died, Isaiah had a paradigm shift in the spirit. And he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was undone, he was ruined he could only survive this event because the angel came and touched his mouth, and then God sent a commissioning, and he said, here am I, Lord, send me. And the Lord did not send him on a mission that we all hear most people are being sent on. He was sent on an anti-revival. He was sent to preach so the people would not hear and would not understand and would not repent. People say, well, that's the Old Testament, Scott. Well, let's turn, to, let's turn to the New Testament then. Go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, our Lord and Messiah talked about the parable of the sower sows the word. And in verse 10, the disciples came to him. Matthew 13, verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? Or why do you speak to them in somewhat allegorical or even riddle-type speech? And he said to them, To you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted, for whoever has, to him shall be more given. He shall have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says you'll keep on hearing, you'll keep on understanding. This is a quotation from Isaiah 6. You'll keep on seeing, but you'll not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their eyes they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, Hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return, and I should heal them. This is amazing. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So we see here that Jesus is actually preaching in parables to confuse the people. He's purposely preaching so the people would not understand and return and be healed. Go with me to uh, Acts 28. We see the same thing in Paul's ministry. The book of Acts, chapter 28. Acts 28 and verse 23. I'll wait for you to get there. Acts 28 and 23. 23. And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And there were some who were persuaded by these things. Others would not believe. And when they had not agreed with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting rhema or word The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You'll keep on hearing, but you'll not understand. You'll keep on seeing, but you'll not perceive. For the heart of this people have become dull. With their eyes they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return, and I should heal them. Let it be known to you, therefore, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will also listen. So we, what we see here is something in the sovereignty of God. And the, the church has been so weighed down with Arminianism that we've thrown out even some of the truths that Calvin had brought forth. I think a really good balanced theology is what we, we call reformed theology through Jonathan Edwards. Today we have, unless we pray, God won't do something. Unless we believe. Unless we do this, unless we do this. It's almost like we've become God, and God is, you know, subservient to our prayers. If we didn't pray, well, this won't happen. And we call that hyper-Arminianism. And we see that just very popular today. It's almost like a works mentality. Unless we pray, unless we confess, and it takes away the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Look at your neighbor and say, God is sovereign. And he will do what he wants to do whether we pray or not. Amen. And he's the king. We're not kings. And so we got mixed in with that is this kingdom teaching, and some of it's good, some of it's bad, where we're now, we reign as kings on earth. And uh, it's a mistranslation because the King James Version in Revelation 1.6 says that we are uh, kings and priests unto God, and people have taken that message saying, we rule and reign as kings, okay, but we found out that that was a little bit of a mistranslation in the King James Version, because they were under King Jimmy, King James, and so they thought in monarchy terms, the newer translations, of course, New American Standard and others have it literally correct, which is, we are a kingdom of priests. We're not kings. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are kings, we are a kingdom of priests. There's only one king. His name is Jesus. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. And uh, so we look back and say, what has happened? Well, there are several events that happened that caused God to reject, for the most part, Israel, to even send the Messiah to preach something that messed up their theology, to actually even harden them. Even Paul preached a message and said, you know, what I'm preaching to you is rightly what Isaiah said. There is a shift happening. I'm leaving you. I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, I'll get back to this in a moment, okay? Because I believe this thing is also reversing right now with the church. Because in Romans 11, it says, if, if the church, okay, the Gentiles do not stand, you know, in this simple faith and, and, and com- committed to the root, to the branches, which is the root, Israel, that God will reverse it. God will reverse it and go back to Israel and leave the church high and dry. And so I've been seeing a mega trend the last several years, and I just, my job is to warn you guys. But Let's go back to Luke. Let's, let me show you what Jesus preached that really caused the people to want to kill him. And it's something that is in the, inside the craw, inside the heart of every person that's God has used before or is using or has used is that you have to come to the time of realization that you're nothing. And as soon as you think you're something that God's favor is on you for some other reason and God starts to do something else and you get mad, well, that's why we have so many religious wars going on. Anyway, Luke 4 and verse 1 Let's read this. This is pretty powerful stuff. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the Greek word led into the wilderness. he was not like leading a little French poodle, okay, outside for a little walk in the park. It's the word ikbalo in Greek, which means to throw out. It's the same word used to cast out devils. Where we get the word ball, to throw something. So the Spirit threw Jesus out of the river meeting, okay, at the Jordan to be tested. So when you receive fresh infillings of the Spirit, get ready for testings. And then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, verse 14, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he began teaching in their synagogues, praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, which had been brought up, as was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read. And it's not the book, it's the scroll, okay? There's no books back then. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him, wondering at the gracious words that were falling from his lips. Were they, not, they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Yossi? Ben Yossi? You know, I wanted my daughter, Rachel, to get to know him. But he always said he was about his father's business. We remember the stories of this little boy coming out of Egypt. Oh, see, it's a, you have 10 Jews, you have 11 opinions. There is a lot of people that knew what happened with this miracle child. Okay, they knew about him. Is this not Joseph's son? I still have the table he made for me. And he said to them, verse 23, no doubt you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever was heard, was done at Capernaum, do here at your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them were cleansed but Naaman the Syrian, and all of them... Said They did not say, oh, this is Joseph's son. Oh, what a minch. No, they rose up filled with rage when they heard these things and they wanted to kill him. What caused the people after four verses to want to kill him? What did he say that enraged him to the point they wanted to kill him? Well, we need to dive into the text and find out what he really said. Now it says here in verse 25, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine, famine came over all of the land. So what, we hear, what we're talking about here is that Ahab, king of Israel, the ten northern tribes that had pulled away from Judah, and half Benjamin, and Simon, Simon, and they went and started their own worship center in Bethel and Dan, Okay. And it was an abomination. And so God rose up the prophet Elijah. The prophetic movement is raised up not to tickle our ears. The movement is raised up to take on the monarchy, the religious system that God hates. I'll get back to that in a few moments, okay? Because we have to understand, what is God saying this hour? We have to love what God loves and hates what he hates. And we can see a pattern throughout the Scriptures repeating itself in our generation right now with this mystery of lawlessness that's going on. And my job is not to tickle you make you all feel great, okay? If you want to be tickled, go watch Oprah or go watch from the daytime programming, okay? I'm here to warn you guys, to sound the alarm. So anyway, the people chose a king. It says in Hosea, all of your evil... I came to hate you at Gilgal. Now, Hosea has some beautiful language. You know, I'll call those who was not beloved my beloved. You know, beautiful language of restoration. You know, however, at the end of Hosea, which was a contemporary of Isaiah, by the way, he begins to prophesy. God says to him, I came to hate you at Gilgal. It's like, what happened at Gilgal? All of your evil was at Gilgal. What happened at Gilgal, I'll take you there, you come to visit Israel, we'll take you down there. Gilgal is where they anointed Saul to be king. Now for those who haven't read their Bible in a while, maybe I'll help you, hallelujah, a little bit here. We have to rewind and go back to the original pattern. But before I do it, let's first talk about this, okay, because we're going to go back to this original pattern thing. I want to finish up here in Luke real quick. Anyway, so Elijah was sent against the northern kingdom. Jeremiah and others were sent against the southern kingdom. There was a division, okay? And uh, the reason the division happened is because of David's sin. See, the Bible says he who commits adultery will inherit the wind and just because you think God's forgiven you it doesn't change the you can't change the crop failure for years ahead there is ramifications there is fallout when you decide to sin especially if you're in leadership and so David all the kings of Judah all the kingdom had problems because David did not obey God and the problem here is is that His son Solomon enforced heavy labor, and then Rehoboam and Jeroboam came up next and said, you know what, my father did this, I'm going to do it even stronger on you. And so Jeroboam rebelled, there was a civil war, and moved up into the north, okay? And uh, then Ahab came on a few kings later, and Ahab married for North American Free Trade Agreement for a treaty's sake with Lebanon, the Phoenicians, okay, Married into Jezebel's family. And Jezebel was lived along the Lebanese coastline, Syrophoenicia, at that time. Okay? And Jezebel brought in what to Israel? What kind of worship? What's the name of it? Baal, Baal worship. And Baal in Hebrew, Baal, means husband or master. But Baal also was the ancient Canaanite god of the lightning and the rain. And so you think about it. Here's an agricultural-based society, okay, that needs rain on the border of the desert. They didn't have drip irrigation like we have today in Israel. They had needed rains, okay? And so she brought in a system of belief that Israel quickly, we're surprised, quickly fell into, okay? And she was... um, You know, basically was worshiping this deity that brought the rain. So what did Elijah do? Elijah showed up, and God told Elijah, first thing, pray, no rain. There's no rain, okay, three and a half years. The crops are not growing. It looks like Ethiopia, Somalia in drought. Babies are dying, lots of orphans, lots of widows. Come on, folks. And people, I, I, I sit there, and I just shake my head. People sing these songs, these are the days of Elijah da 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 what, Are you crazy? Take the melody out. That is, This is not a happy song. The days of Elijah is not a happy time. It's judgment. God is judging the entire agricultural system because they've turned toward Baal. God is judging the American dollar right now. Why are we going to wake up to it? And so there's famine over the whole land. But uh, verse 26, look at this. Elijah was sent to nobody. Now, what did Elijah do? He multiplied the resources of the widow woman so she could live in the famine, right? But this widow woman is not a woman of the covenant. She's not even Jewish. He sent to a Gentile lady, okay, to bless her household so she could survive the famine. But judgment would continue through the house of Israel. Isn't that amazing? And the people started getting riled up. Why did they get so mad? Because they knew that this woman, Zarephath, is the hometown of Jezebel. What the Word of God, Jesus Himself, God in the flesh, is saying is Elijah purposely prayed judgment on God's people, purposely wanted the famine because they had gone whoring after other God, Baal, okay? And God wanted to bless Jezebel's hometown for being used by God to bring in the disaster. This is Jesus saying these things, folks. Now, why don't we hear this preached on the Christian media outlets? Because we have a bunch of yahoo, spineless, effeminate, castrated men, okay, that don't know really the Word of God. All they know is they're good marketers and programmers and promoters. And that is the bottom line. Because I will not go to war with those people. They come to Israel, we'll have to carry a boatload full of diapers, adult diapers, okay, you get from the geriatric center and put it around some of these pastors, okay, and a bunch of wipes because they can't handle war at all. They can't handle negativity. They can't handle pressure. You go, am I going to go to war with them? We talked about it yesterday at dinner. I said, listen, people get upset. I said, it's time to assess troop strength. I'm not going to war. In Israel, my son is in a special forces unit, okay? And I know the commander, and I want to know the commander, because I'm not going to trust my son's life with some some yahoo. Would you go to war with some of these TV preachers? Look at the next verse. This gets even heavier. Verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in in the time of Elisha the prophet. Now, why there are so many lepers in Israel in the next prophetic ministry, which Elijah was taken to heaven, it's because any skin condition from acne to malnutrition, all the way down the line to leprosy, is considered under leprosy, okay? So just because a leper, you think of, you know, some colony, you know, uh, it's not a leper's colony. Anybody who had some type of skin condition... Okay, and a lot of times skin conditions come from malnutrition. So there's a lot of people with skin conditions in Israel because there's been a famine going on for a while. And so it says here there are many lepers in Israel. Now we don't know if these are full blown lepers or not, but whatever, they're lepers. At the time of Elisha the prophet, none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Look at that, all these people that are under the covenant. Only one was cleansed and was Naaman the Syrian. Do you know who Naaman the Syrian was? Naaman the Syrian was the commander-in-chief of the Assyrian army who was healed, and he came back four or five years later and holocausted the city of Samaria and the ten tribes of Israel. What are you saying, Scott? Like, God blessed and raised up Hitler? Uh, well... That's for God the judge. But we do see a mega trend that when God's people don't obey him, that he raises up and blesses their enemies. And they flipped out. They wanted to kill him as soon as possible against the entire Mosaic law. No trial. No witnesses. Come on, folks. Because he pierced their heart. And this is exactly what I believe is happening in the church right now. God is raising up true prophets and prophecies. He's raising up true nobodies. Hallelujah. To confront the sin of the church. Okay? To afflict the uncomfortable and comfort the afflicted, some say. And they were all filled with rage when they heard these things. Go with me to John six six six. John chapter 6 and verse 66. We're going somewhere with this, so hang on. You're hungry coming out on a Wednesday morning, so you're going to get filet mignon mignon and T-bone steak. Hallelujah. John 6 and verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Remember, these are disciples uh, we don't know if it was one of some of the 12, but definitely it had to be some of the 70 who were equipped under Matthew 10 to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, all the good stuff, amen. But they quit walking. John 6, 6, 6. Why did this happen? Because Jesus preached, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part of me. And the people said, what, are you crazy? What was Jesus saying? He was, it was the, the height of dietary prohibition is cannibalism. Jesus was preaching cannibalism. I mean, you say, well, no, no, he was talking about communion. Wait, wait, wait. Listen, this is, he could have said, hey, guys, chill out. I'm the Passover lamb. He could have described the elements of the communion table in the future. He said, come on, that's just symbolic. No, he preached cannibalism. Why? Because he knew that people were after the miracles and not after the, really after him. So we see this incredible scriptural basis being laid out to us this morning of God blinding who he wants to blind and opening the heart of those he wants to open. We see a sovereignty of God. We see him preaching an actual message to God's chosen people. Now these are people, and understand it's a very small country, okay? It's the size of New Jersey. Word travels quick, okay? Um, where Jesus is preaching this is just, you know, just a half a day's walk down to the first river meeting at the Jordan River. It's not very far. And you think about it, you know, all these people came out from the environs of Jerusalem and the areas of Judea. They came down to to John and he was preaching, you know, and... All the visitors came and, you know, he stood up that, (laughs) and didn't say, oh, we welcome all of our visitors today. We got free parking outside. We have a coupon for the bookstore. My free book and tape series is 20% discount for you. And we got hot dogs for the kids, you know, and donuts and coffee and welcome. No, he said, you brood of vipers. Maybe that's the message we ought to preach to the visitors. Amen. Everybody's so afraid to offend visitors. Everybody's so afraid that people won't come back. What are we afraid of? What is it we're trying to hold together? What is it we want so much? Think about these things. To keep doing the same thing over and over every Sunday morning and expecting different results is a sign of mental illness. Why do we see this message here, and today we're following these ministries that are making the church, what they say, more relevant? It's not relevant. It's more lukewarm. Why don't we hear this preaching in the major media Christian outlets? Why don't we hear this going on? Could it be is that our generation of leaders has become just like the leaders of Israel who want a feel-good message? They don't want the true prophetic voice. They want the court prophets that will prophesy to you and read your mail and make you feel real good about the future, okay, but not point out the sin in your heart. Jesus warned, be not deceived. And I can see this deception building without a doubt. You know, you look through the chronicles of the word of God and and you wonder, how could Jezebel bring Baal worship, idolatry into a people that were so committed, they even built their own temples in in Dan and Bethel and based on the Mosaic law. It's real simple. Baal worship is a worship of worshiping this deity to bring the rains and the storm clouds, okay, that the crops will grow and prosperity ensues. But it doesn't have the stipulations of the law of Moses. It's a very, it almost mirrors the Mosaic law but it doesn't have the same stipulations and requirements. And so that's what Baal worship is today. It's a message of prosperity without the cross. And that's where this Jezebel spirit gets its power, is getting the people into Baal worship. A message of prosperity, oh, the rain, the blessings, without the message of the cross. Are y'all still with me? Am I going too fast? I already know these things. This is for you. So we see this, and you know, you just sit back, and I'm not. You don't sit there. You know, people are. There's a lot of well-intended people that take the wrong turn off the highway. Okay. Even with the GPS system talking to them. Okay. Why is this message not being challenged right now? That's my question to you. Why haven't you challenged this message? Even you from other churches, okay? Why haven't you wrote these Christian TV stations? Why haven't you done certain things and say, what's going on here? Where's the message of the cross? The purpose of the enemy is to get you so weighed down in the cares of life and your own little struggles that you can't really see up and see what's going on. You're looking at the trees, you can't even see the forest. You've got to rise up in this hour, amen? And so... Wow, there's a lot here. Let's go back to Chronicles. You all are such good students this morning. Hallelujah. Let's go a little deeper here. Let me find it for you real quick. First Chronicles chapter 17. There we go. Hallelujah. How you doing, brother? Okay, 1 Chronicles 17. Before I tell you where we're going to read, let's back up do an overview. Children of Israel came out of Egypt, okay? The ten spies had a bad report, right? Didn't want to go to war. God let their carcasses drop. He looked in the loins of the fathers, raised up the Joshua generation. They went and took the promised land Jericho was an outstanding success, okay? But some people coveted the, the gold and silver idols. At Ai, they got a Julius Maximus whoopin, okay? At a small city. And so they took that couple out and their family and their children and all their belongings and stoned them right there on the spot. <laughs> Pretty deep, huh? And then they were able to go back militarily and take out the land. Hallelujah. Even to the point that Joshua called for the sun to stand still at the Beit Horan Pass. Hallelujah. That's amazing. And then they went throughout the entire promised land. And Joshua at the end, they reread the law at Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing and Curse. And you can see it from my house in Israel in the morning. You can look out and you'll see a mountain full of trees and a mountain that's bald. And it's a mountain of blessing and curse right there. And uh, the curse, there's no, no, nothing really growing on it compared to the other mountain. Anyway, and so the people, you know, didn't really know what to do because of the geography of the land. Different tribes were a little separated from each other. And so God, the people began to fall into line with the Canaanite deities. God warned them, don't learn the farming techniques of the people you live with. And they started taking on the Canaanite gods. And so that they sinned. And how did God get them out of their sin? By sin of revival? No, he sent enemies to afflict them. Is there a reason why we haven't been caught bin Laden yet? This I mean, I like to think about these things. Amen? I mean, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. People say, well, that's Old Testament. Excuse me, there's nothing old about the Old Testament. The only thing old about the Old Testament is the sacrificial law. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. But there's whole segments of prophecy that haven't been fulfilled yet. Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, Malachi, Daniel hasn't been fulfilled yet. We're supposed to throw that out? Paul says in Romans 16, the gospel I preached to you comes from the prophets. When they said all scriptures God breathed to Timothy, it's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't even written yet. Peter, the last thing Peter says, and, you know, he, he put his foot in his mouth and he made a lot of mistakes, but at the end he got it right. He says, you know, um, I commend you to this word. It's the morning star light, hallelujah, that gives us light. It's the scriptures of the prophets, he said. And it's, more, it's a more sure prophetic word than me hearing God's voice in the Mount of Transfiguration. Most people are looking for, you know, signs and wonders on the top of the mountain. And Peter's saying, this is a more sure prophetic word. And we got people who don't even bring their Bibles to church. What, you got a computer mind, you can remember all that stuff? I don't think so. We have to let the Word, come on, it's alive, hallelujah. We have to let God speak to us. You say, how long shall I read the Bible every day, Scott? Read it until it starts reading you, hallelujah. <laughs> then stop there and deal with it. So the people start playing the harlot again, and so God sends their enemies to afflict them. And the people cry to the Lord, and it says in the book of Judges that God raised up judges or deliverers. Now, this is where you have to jump across something. The word judges is not like a judge that sits on a Supreme Court. Okay? It's not the same word. The word judge in Hebrew, shoftim, means champion or deliverer. Okay? A champion, a deliverer, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And um, so whenever you see the word judge in English, it's the word champion or deliverer. So God raised up, the people cried out, okay, and God raised up a nobody, okay, either a man or woman, Deborah or whoever, that would rise up for battle and drive back the enemies. And then there would be rest for 40 years and then the same thing would happen again. And we see coming up to the point of Samuel, okay, that Samuel was known as the father of the judges. He was, had incredible ministry. Hallelujah. And the people got tired of war in Iraq. Uh, uh, excuse me. They got tired of this. And they said, you know, we want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. And Samuel was distressed. And God says, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. This is what it means, that all your evil began at Gilgal. See, we talk a lot about the Adam and Eve's transgression, and that is epic proportions, what happened. But we don't talk about the secondary sin of God's, I mean, this is the second greatest sin in the classification, Adam and Eve first. The second would be this, where the people wanted a king. And people don't understand how much God hates the monarchy system. We better turn to it. You guys are looking at me like, come on, go to Judges. Judges chapter 2. Let me see if that's it. Just a moment, I'll find it. I'm sorry, Samuel, first Samuel. First Samuel. Chapter eight. This is powerful, folks. So first Samuel eight, they demand a king. And verse ten. Well verse eight, it says like all the deeds which they have done since they, the day they came, I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, in that they have forsaken me, served other gods, so they are doing also to you. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who shall reign over them. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about what God hates this morning. So we know what, how we can please him, okay? And he said, this shall be the procedure of the king, verse 11, who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots, among his horsemen. They'll run before his chariots. He'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands, of fifties, do his plowing, reap his harvest, make his weapons of war, equipments for chariots. He'll take your daughters, be perfumers, cooks, bakers. He'll take the best of your fields, the vineyards, your olive grows, give them. He'll take a tenth of your seed, a tithe of your seed in your vineyards, and give to his officers and his servants. It goes on and on. Look at verse 20, uh, verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel and said, No, there will be a king over us, that we may be like the other nations. May our king may judge us and go out and fight our battles. Again, like I said last night, the problem is the people did not want to go to war, they did not want to fight. Are we willing to fight for what we believe? And so the people, even though this king would bring them under subjection of servitude, okay, really rape and pillage them, they still wanted that. So this king, they demand a king. Isn't that like human nature? We demand a pope-type figure. We demand... Somebody. So they asked for, and they got Saul, who was, look, verse 1 of chapter 9. We're connecting the dots this morning, folks. Stay with me. Some of you may say, wow, this is a lot. Well, just hang on. You can always listen to tape. Verse 1, now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Ethael, the son of Zeor, the son of Bechariah, son of Ephthah, the son of Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. Very powerful word in Hebrew. Anyway, whose name, who had a son... Su- had a son whose name was Saul, choice and handsome. There's not a more handsome person among the sons of Israel from his shoulders up. He was taller than any of the people. Come on, folks. This is typical. Why don't we see people that are not so handsome and pretty on the TV programs? Why are most mega churches run by people that we think are pretty or handsome? (gasps) Oh, Why don't we get real about this? Why don't we understand that the wheels are coming off this thing? And we got to wake up, amen, and raise our voices, hallelujah. And so here's a guy who was tall and handsome and had an anointing prophetically. And the people said, ooh, he shall be our king. You know what? He's going to do battle for us. Well, we don't care if he takes unjust, you know, tithes and all these things, you know. Now, it's good to tithe. Don't get, get wrong here. Understand what this king is doing. He's taking the tithe beyond the temple tithe. The biggest problem we have today with the finances of the local church is most people are giving their finances to parachurch ministries or ministries on the TV instead of giving it to the local body. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It's deafening today. Come on, folks. In. In Theo means you're in God, enthusiastic. You're in Theo, in God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, sister. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so, this is what's happening saying, if you get this certain amount of money, we're going to war for you. And we'll send you some Jordan River water, whatever. But we're going to war for you, we're going to pray for your breakthrough. You're actually giving what should belong to the local church, okay, or to support missionaries, whatever, you're giving it to these people, Hallelujah, to war for you. And that's what Israel wants. They wanted a king to war for them. You have to understand how much God hated this process? If you want the I'll quote it to you, just so you can write down for your notes from Hosea. I'll me read it to you so you can read it later, okay? Y'all get some out of this today. Just a moment let me find it. I'll read it to you. Hosea 9 verse 15. All their evil is in Gilgal. Indeed I came to hate them there. Because of their wickedness of their deeds I'll drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. If Friam is stricken, their root is dried up, they'll bear no fruit, even though I, they bear children, I'll slay the precious ones of their womb. God is good. All the time, God is good. <laughs> My God will cast them away because they have not listened to him, and they'll be wanderers among the nations. That's the word of God, folks. So we see here the absolute hatred God had toward this. You know, it talks about in Jeremiah, you know, I betrothed you in the wilderness. We entered into marriage covenant. In a land not slown, I pulled you out of Egypt. And they turned around and went after other nations, after the gods of other nations. This is the absolute worst thing you could imagine. First, Adam and Eve. Second, Israel wanting a king. Okay. And so we see here that we never see any type of witchcraft finding its ranks within the leadership of God until Saul is corrected for his witchcraft misadventure. Let's turn to that. 1 Samuel 15. So they got somebody who was tall, handsome, anointed, prophetic anointing, could go to war for him, okay? Okay? 1 Samuel fifteen, verse two the Lord said the host says, I will punish Amalek for all he did to Israel. He goes on and says here in verse ten or verse nine Saul and the people spared Agog, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good. They were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. He has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul, come to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. Gilgal, again, is the place that God hates. It's interesting that Gilgal is also the same root of the word for a wheel, something that turns. It's almost like once you get this wheel turning, you can't stop it. And Samuel, now notice that Samuel built a monument to himself, not to God. He only took the best of it. God said total holocaust, destroy everything. Okay. And verse 17 Samuel said, is it not true that though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord set you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them till they are exterminated? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil, and it was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and went on the mission. Interesting, the word Saul in Hebrew, sha'ul, means to ask for something, sha'ul. Sent me, and I brought back Agog, king of Amalek, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoils, sheep, oxen, choicest things, devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, not our God, your God, at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Rebellion is the sin of divination or witchcraft. Insubordination, Is iniquity and idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now notice, why did Saul not obey fully? Well, verse 24 is the reason why, which is the problem inherent in the monarchy system of leadership. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people. So we see two things here. Number one, God hates the monarchy system. Okay, But the people want it, so God gave it to them. The monarchy system is something that is so utterly detestable, yet the monarch himself is not able to complete the true service of the Lord in the and the battles and, and the campaigns of war that God calls, calls them on because they fear the people. And that has the dynamic. Every local pastor, come on, every minister has to go through, do we obey God or do we fear the people? Because if we obey God fully, you know, so-and-so big tither may leave. So I'm sitting back and saying, okay, what is this current wineskin? Are we going to keep on trying to pump this current wineskin up, you know? Or is this wineskin really fading of the North American church that we've seen? And is God really going us back to the biblical pattern? Hallelujah. Now, let's go back to Chronicles. First Chronicles 17. Are you all still with me? You're doing a great job. Hallelujah. We're compressing about three weeks into about two hours here. <laughs> I got to get back to Israel. Okay, 1 Chronicles 17. Now, before we read 1 Chronicles 17, let's continue. So, Saul, you know, he has these misadventures. Goliath is raised up, taunts the army of God for 40 days, okay? And he's, not even, he's afraid to go and fight. All the mighty men with Saul are afraid. And David's bringing the lunch up to the brothers, okay? And he hears, okay? And he says, hey, what will be given the man that destroys this, this giant? Well, no more taxes in the land. Ooh, I like that. The king's daughter. Who I like this. Great. I want to do it. And Saul flips out. What? What, what are you doing? But David knew how to take out the giant, because he was on a weekly or if not nightly terror of the night operation with the sheep. We have located in the desert the place that is called the Hope of the Fathers. An uh, Israeli archaeologist I know that's now has, has died, uh, kind of passed on his teachings and his research to me, Hallelujah that I could carry it on, and he has done an intensive life study on Psalms 23. Actually, Noga, his book is on our website, by the way, called the um, Psalms 23 and uh, from a Hebrew perspective. But if you look on our website, the bookstore, flashfloods.com, or call our office, our administrator, Kathy, can get you that book. It's an awesome book. Anyway, um, what they found is that in these places... That most, by the way, most teaching on Psalms 23 and the Lord is our Shepherd is done from a New Zealand or British background, and Israel, the the sheep that are there are different, and where they forage is different than the beautiful highlands of Scotland or New Zealand. Okay, (laughs) so we have to go back to the Middle Eastern pattern of shepherding, not the Western British pattern. All right. So anyway, in this place that the sheep, the shepherd, number one, had to drive them to the water sources. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures by streams of still waters, There he restores my soul. Okay. Now in that place, all of the watering holes in Israel are places that are also, I should say, populated by wild beasts. There's not much water there. So the lions and the bears and the wolves, where would they feed? At the watering hole. So the shepherd not only must be a person who must get the sheep who are defenseless to a watering source and make them lay down, the only green pastures to eat, okay, are by the watering places that are in these dry ravines, okay, and very, very rugged terrain. The shepherd also had to be somebody who didn't know just how to lead GPS-wise, out of these places and find the next watering hole, he had to be a warrior of the night because at night he would push the sheep into these small cave areas, which was called the hope of the fathers, and he would not sleep, but he would be there at the front of that cave to guard against the wolves and the predators, the lions that came out at night to feed at the watering hole. So that's why God used David so powerfully, because he was a military-type person. He'd only taken on the lion and the bear. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. The true shepherds in this hour have to be people who not just get you to the waters of life, but know how to guard you from the terrors of night. Hallelujah. And that's why he said to Goliath, he says, you know what? You've been blaspheming. The armies of God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I'm going to make you roadkill tomorrow. (laughs) The birds are going to eat your flesh, buddy. And he did it. Come on. Hallelujah. Because why? Because he was already in the desert taking on. He was dealing with warfare situations all the time. Hallelujah. And let me tell you something, folks. Can you imagine that with all those sheep and the lions coming in, the wolves? They come in a pack and they're hunting and you don't got night vision or an AK-47 or anything else. And you know those things are going to be tracking you during the daytime. Just because you beat them back one night doesn't mean they all left. Think about that. Just think about the amount of tenacity. And God says in the last days, he says, that my people are scattered sheep in all the mountains because of the shepherds. So I'm going to raise up new shepherds with the heart of David. Hallelujah. You need shepherds now that go to war for you. Glory to God. And so, so that, we see David as really the last judge. Samuel, then David. But as soon as David became king, He lost it all. The great psalmist who wrote over 70 of the Psalms, great man after God's own heart, okay. When he became king, he quit going to war. But before that event with Bathsheba happened, look at Chronicles 17. And now we can see God's original intent for the leadership of the local church, the local flock, is based on this pattern. First Chronicles 17, and it came about when David dwelt in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet. Now Nathan's a good prophet, Behold, I am dwelling in the house of Cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Sounds like a good prophetic word. And it came about The same night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell David, my servant, thus says the Lord, you shall not build a house for me to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I have gone about from tent to tent, from dwelling place to another. Hallelujah. And stop right there. The dwelling place, the Shekinah glory that was on the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the mobile tabernacle. It's the same Hebrew word as neighbor. The Shekinah glory of God, Shekhan. Mishkan, Shekhun, Shekhinah are all the same root. So the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle, a neighbor or a neighborhood where people live real close to each other is the same word for the Shekinah glory of God. God wants to be among his people as close as a neighbor. God wants to be in his glory as close as a neighbor is to you. Hallelujah! But that pattern shifted when they wanted to build a temple. People always ask, well, what about the third temple? Who cares about the third temple? God's restoring the fallen tabernacle of David, not the temple. We're the temple of the Lord. Most of those people trying to rebuild the third temple in Jerusalem are weirdos. I don't want to be anywhere near them. They are weird. And the place they want to build it is even like the real place. The real place is down underneath the dung gate now where they found the city of David. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'll, Amos 911, I'll restore the fallen tabernacle of David. Hallelujah. So we're talking about God dwelling in his glory from Tent to tent, from dwelling place to dwelling place. Do you think the creation account in Genesis is a very important doctrine?
0: Yes. So yes, yes.
1: But you know it only took up three chapters in the Bible? Creation. But whole books were written about the interior design and the construction and dismantling and the mobility of the tabernacle. Why? Why? Because God's not interested in us knowing all the increments of what happened in the Big Bang or No Bang or whatever happened in creation, okay? Come on. People get so involved. Well, what about the Nephilim, the fallen ones? And where do demons come from? And where do the race of giants come from Genesis 6? Who cares? It's all about God, hallelujah, finding his man of faith and his people of faith. Glory to God that he can dwell among his people in his glory. Hallelujah. All those other things are for not for us to know right now. So God is content, verse 5, to dwell in a mobile tabernacle tent and hang out with his people. <laughs> Hallelujah. And look at verse 6. This is incredible. In all the places where I have walked with all Israel, have I spoken a word with any of the judges or deliverers of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying... Why have you not built for me a house of cedar? Look again. Have I spoke to any of the judges whom I commanded to shepherd my people? The true pattern of shepherding in this last day for this harvest coming in for us, and whether you're in a pulpit ministry or you're a home group leader or you're shepherding your business and your family and your kids, It's based on a pattern of war, a judge's pattern, not a kingship pattern. The problem today in the church is that we have churches that are run as monarchy systems. When the king dies, who usually takes over the monarchy? The son. Because monarchy is based on prodigy, the judge's pattern is based on God's exclusive sovereign choice. Can you see it unfolding? Why? Because the people want a monarchy system. We want a king. Our flesh does. But God wants us to go to war. And the only people that He anointed to be our deliverers, our shepherds, hallelujah, to feed us, glory to God, to correct us, to shear us, hallelujah, to cause us to survive in a harsh desert environment of this world system. Is these warrior judges, hallelujah, not the kings. All of your evil was at Gilgal when you wanted a king instead of me being a king. Nowhere in the Bible are we called to be kings. We're called to be judges, deliverers, hallelujah. Now many of you know about Daniel, uh, excuse me, about um, uh, Deborah and all these judges, hallelujah. But notice it, you've got to memorize this verse 6. You've got to memorize, God wants deliverers, judges, to shepherd his people. So judges, deliverers operate in the spirit of justice. And the number one function of a judge in the Bible was to push back the terror enemies of Israel. You will know judges from kings. Kings don't like to go to war. They like to cut peace treaties, okay, and bring Ahab and Jezebel together and all the other stuff, okay, for economic purposes, but judges want to go to war. Hallelujah. And the war that they want to go after is terrorism. Anything that brings terror. Whoa! Whoo, And the main terror still today is this Islamic jihad. And we gotta have follow leaders that want to take us into war. Hallelujah. And push the button and take care of Iran. the bottom line, folks. And we got a president who ain't a judge at all. Now, let's look at one of these judges that all we know about him is that he said a parable and made everybody really upset. And his name is Yotam. Go with me back to the book of Judges. What did he say in his prophetic word that made the people so mad? Judges chapter 9, I believe. Yep, chapter 9. Now, verse 1, it says, Avi Melech. Now, Avi Melech in Hebrew means my father the king. Avi Melech. Melech is king. And there was this judge that was raised up named Yotam. Jotham in English, his name means the Lord is blameless, or pure, Yotam, complete. And verse 7, now when they told Yotam, he went and stood atop of Mount Gerizim, by where I live, okay? Mount Gerizim, blessing or curse, okay? This is where they're commanded to remember God, follow the law. Come on, remember that? They all broke covenant up there. So he stands atop the mountain. I love it. You've got to go to Israel more often. Hallelujah. You've got to see this stuff. And lifted up his voice and called out and said, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, they said, Olive tree reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness, which God and men are honored, and go to wave over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You shall reign over us. And the fig tree said, Shall I leave my sweetness, my good fruit, and go to wave over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come, you shall reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my new wine which cheers God and men and go wave over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if I am in truth, you're anointing me as king over you. Come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the brambles and consume the cedars of Lebanon. So basically, the people, he gave them a parable. And they got super, super mad. Verse 21, it says he fled and escaped from them and went down toward um, Uh, Beer, which I believe is Beersheba, but I'm not for sure. Anyway, make a long story short, (laughs) you have to understand the agricultural system of Israel. That what he said there, he said, if you choose Avimelech to be your king, okay, this is what he's going to do. He's going to be like a, here my translation says bramble, but the tree is actually called an adot tree in Hebrew. And you'll never see an adot tree growing in a vineyard or in an agricultural place where people produce food. It is a, a dot tree or bramble tree. It will provide shade. It's a big tree. It will provide shade from the sun. But it only produces little berries. A little fruit, but not enough to really nourish you. But this is the key. Its root system will go out and destroy all the other fruit trees around it. So he said, if you want a king over you, he'll give you a little covering. You'll have a little fruit. That's it. But his root system will go and make all of you unfruitful. Now, let's fast forward now. So David... If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith, there's no, there's no kings mentioned there. You have patriarchs, you have widows, you have orphans, you have simple people, you have judges. What more should I say of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Deborah, and the, and the prophets. Oh, You'll know, you look at me like, come on, let's go look at it. Hebrews 11. I love the book of Hebrews. It's just that, you know, Ephesians and Romans, and those things are really meaty. Whew. So Hebrews 11, it says here, verse 32, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Shemshon, Yeptah, David, Samuel, and then what? He just jumped over a few hundred years of monarchy history. What happened? He just missed a few centuries of history. He didn't mention one king there. This is my first awakening to this message. was Wow, there's no kings here in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And you ever, I always wondered, you know, look at the kingship, of Ju- the kings of Judah and Israel. they some of the most dysfunctional situations you could ever imagine. One of them loves God, and the next one goes out and starts burning his sons and, you know, When did all this happen? What happened? And then you notice that the prophets are sent to the kings, okay? And the kings usually want to kill them. And the whole thing just slowly ends with a captivity. Okay, 721, The Naaman the Syrian comes in, holocaust, the ten tribes of Israel and Samaria. They're scattered among the nations. To this day, they're still being regathered back to Israel. Hallelujah. And then you have Five, uh, 587, 586 B.C. comes in Nebuchadnezzar under the warnings of Jeremiah and destroys that city. And then we see a time of silence after Malachi. 400 years. God had finally, hopefully, quote, quote, rooted the people of the kingship system. And uh, 400 years of no prophetic activity. And it was during that time that the people began to get very mystical because there was no prophetic word. And they became very spooky. And that's we know that by the writings that were found at Qumran in the Dead Sea community, and also by the Apocrypha, which is in the middle of the Catholic Bible. It's called pseudographical literature, false literature. Never made the canon of the Bible. Thank God it didn't. And the reason why you read it, it's strange. All about the angelic visitations and it's like somebody ate too many peyote mushroom buttons in the desert, you know, and started having visitations and wrote this stuff down. It's really weird stuff. And the the, the Jewish people did not include it into the canonized scriptures. Thank God. Hallelujah. But that stuff was written, listen very carefully, it, you, have to, you see it repeating itself again now. You see a prophetic movement in America, Canada, in Europe, that's really become pathetic. That they become the focal point of revelation. Their dreams, their visions, rather than the scriptures. It's really strange. Now, what had happened? It's the same thing happening today. You have Malachi, and the priests are being confronted for one major sin. See, most priests, kingship models will use the book of Malachi to hammer you in an un, in its inordinate amounts of hammering to get the tithes. But let's turn the table on them. Because the reason that people were not tithing as much, is well actually he was talking about the priest not tithing, not the people. <laughs> because Malachi is talking to the priest. And he's talking to them And he said, I'm going to send my messenger, the Elijah, John the Baptist, to clean this place out because you are giving your wives away in divorce. Repent! And that's what it's going to take again this hour. We have so many ministries that are divorcing, that are remarrying as quick as you can imagine. Come on, folks. If you can't keep your household order, you shouldn't be in the pulpit ministry. It's the bottom line. It doesn't have necessarily have to do with just the children, it has to do with the marital relationship because God's only example of Jesus and the church is husband and wife. What does that say to our young people? Why? Because it's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your community. Just like the Malachi's warnings affected all the nation of Israel. And the only thing that would flush it out was the message of John the Baptist. We are in that place right now. Do I need to go over and over with this, over and over? I don't want to go over and over with this. I just see some people look at me like, tilt, tilt, tilt. There is enough evidence to support what I'm saying. We have a massive breakdown in the character. Dear God, have mercy. I go to Israel and I come back. I'm like, what's going on here? Uh, uh, uh. Battle stations. It's like as the stomach turns, you know, general hospital, whatever. I mean, it's like, this is crazy. We're talking about leaders that are allowed to continue to preach and lead God's people into war. Ooh. Keep it quiet. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What I'm trying to hammer at is this, folks. You need to wake up that we have a breakdown in the moral fabric of the leadership, just like it was in the book of Malachi, okay? And that we are now progressing into the same intertestamental period that Israel did, okay? It's no different where people that can't, Levi's, that can't keep their Levi's on are going after dreams and strange visions. Come on, folks. You know them by their fruit. And if you don't follow the fruit, and you open yourself up to familiar spirits and doctrines of devils, and that's what's happening right now. People are having all these weird dreams and visitations and all this stuff, and it's not from God, most of it. And most of these ministries, they people do not backslide overnight. It is a progress. It is a series of decisions over and over and over until they decide, you know, I'll be a law to myself. I'll do what I have to do, and God will forgive me later. Okay, you made that decision. Okay, you, you have disqualified yourself from the race. Not the race to get to heaven, but the race of leading God's people into battle. Take your hands off the bus wheel. Go sit in the back of the bus. Time for somebody else to run this thing. And until God's people wake up and demand this type of character from their leaders, we're going to have more problems. So, David, David quits going to war. Do you need more examples? Does that suffice? David no longer going to war. The great judge, the great deliverer, God's anointed man. He's at home watching his plasma scream TV. I don't know what he's doing. He looks out over his balcony and there's Bathsheba. He knows who Bathsheba is. It's not like, oh, it's just some stranger and we'll have a one night stand. Give me a break. Her husband is who? Who's Uriah? He's one of David's mighty men. And so he goes and he doesn't even, the Bible just says they don't even know each other. The word for intimacy is not even used. It just says he laid with her. Same word used of animals. Finds out she's pregnant. Okay. He gets scared, okay, tells his servants, go bring in, you know, come on, folks. This servant's right there and said, what, are you crazy? Bring your Uriah in. Look what you did. But Christians under the monarchy pattern don't ever question the pastor. He's God's anointed. Come on, folks. It's over and over and over. We see the pattern. It's time to shoot this thing with a fifty caliber. Hallelujah. Blow it out. Hallelujah. With the Iranian depleted tipped shell. Hallelujah. Does I want to see revival in America. Anyway, so David brings in Uriah and says, go home be with your wife. He says, what, you crazy? The men, the, aren't they in battle? You're telling me go home with my wife? And instead he sleeps at the door of David's house. Now why do you sleep at the door with the other servants? Because that's what bond servants do. In the act of becoming a servant to a bond servant, you take your ear, Exodus 21, and you cut it off and you leave it on the doorpost underneath the mezuzah as a sign that wherever you go in the market or in the field or the war, that you show that you had earned your freedom after seven years of slavery and you loved your master more than your own life and you came and put your ear back on the door. So those guys, you know, those cute little earrings these guys are getting, give me a break. Leave your whole ear on the door, Okay. So these bondservants would leave their ear on the door. Amen. It's there. I can show you. And so that's what he did. He slept at the door, because that's what bondservants do. And David hears about it and says, You know what? Send him into battle. And when it gets really heated, pull back. And you can just imagine what pagan, you know, if, if they do what they do to Israeli soldiers today. You know, we don't leave any man behind. Because we know what the Muslims do to us, okay? I know what goes on, okay? Because the unit I'm in, and they tell me what happens and what goes on, okay? And Israel would go to great lengths to bring back one soldier. And that's why we continue to fight with strong resolve, because we know that the whole army and air force, everybody would come after us to rescue us if they had to. And that's why I'm very comfortable with my son being in the Israeli army versus the American army. Mm -hmm. Because I'd hate for him to be in Afghanistan and having second-guessing going, what are we doing here? What's Obama going to do here? Hello? Anyway. Uriah's butchered. Only God knows what they did to him. And uh, David hears of it. Business as usual. And then the good prophet Nathan comes in. Okay? But part of the prophecy of David, and we all concentrate on David's sin, oh Lord, created me a clean heart, you know. We understand David was forgiven, but he wasn't, his sin was not corrected. The domino effect already began. And you're going to have to live with your decisions. Come on, folks. That's why it's called consider your latter end, achirit yamim in Hebrew. Because what you do today, what will happen, what is the result five years from now? That's why most people don't go rob a bank because they know they're going to spend 25 years in prison, right? There's a built-in fear of the law. And the same thing, you know, don't think just God's going to forgive you. That's not the issue. God's grace and loving kindness through the blood of Jesus. The issue is, What's the, what's the domino effect you're going to do to your family, yourself, and everybody else? And that built-in sobriety, soberness, is, what will, is, the, is the way of escape during temptation. say, man, if I do that, this is going to happen. I better not do that. Come on. So that's the built-in safety valve. So Nathan corrects him. David repents. But that's it. He's forgiven, but he's lost it. And... And from now on, David has problems. His family has problems. It goes on and on and on. It's like the Kennedy family, just a curse, just keeps on going down, you know? just goes on and on and on and on. And it finally winds up until the kingship is finally taken out. And Malachi was the final word. So, could it be today that God is raising up a prophetic movement again to take on what the people want, which is anointed leaders to do our battles, but it's based on a monarchy system, not on a warrior judge pattern, and that God is shaking the snot out of the church, pardon my French, and that we're seeing leaders that are good men and women? Really, be honest, I've been blessed by some of the leaders I mentioned today last night. I've been blessed by their messages in times gone by, whatever, or their father's message, whatever. But why are so many can't keep their Levi's on? Why is the church seeming so powerful? The more we, money we throw at Christian Coalition, the more Democrats get into the government. <laughs> have you wondered that? <laughs> have, you wonder, have you wondered? I have. Could it be That we need to wake up, and I believe it is, that God is doing a macro change to the entire church. Okay? And then you say, well, I'm from a Roman Catholic background. I don't have no pope. Well, come on. Look at the most powerful institutions of religion have these strong pope-like leaders, and the people love it. The people give to it. You know, and God started shaking the Catholic Church. hasn't finished with the Catholic Church, by the way. You know, when I witness the Catholics, man, their big stumbling block is the priest and what's been going on sexually, okay? But look what's happening in the church right now. I I weep to my kids. I tell my kids, I said, you know, one thing is good. We really don't have a lot of Christian TV in Israel in the Middle East. (laughs) Which has been a blessing for us because it's caused us to dive into the Word of God more. It's caused us to pray together more as a family. It's caused us to... You know, me to be more of a role model to my kids instead of some youth pastor. Nothing wrong with youth pastors, but you understand where I'm coming from. And you look at this whole system and say, you know, I want to be with warriors. Hallelujah. And, you know, I don't need to go into details, but you know when you meet a corporate manager type who's building his own kingdom. Okay. and oh, maybe good-hearted. You know, maybe, it may, you know, listen, God anointed the, the kingship is the people wanted that. Doesn't mean it's God's perfect will, though. But those people are not going to war. Those people are just building, you know, and they, they fluctuate between a seeker sensitive message or whatever to build out the place. And it's run, it's a corporate ladder there, you know. And usually if he dies, the son or daughter takes over. It's a monarchy pattern. And if you rise up against it, boy, man, they go after you. They, if David rises up in their midst, you better watch out. You may get a javelin thrown at you during worship. Why does these places have, when people say, well, they, that church, okay, I understand the pastor's controlling, but, you know, it's such good worship. Well, that's the whole reason there's good worship. Because the pastor's so tormented by demons sent from God that he needs a David there to worship the demons away. These guys are not under worship. Man, they're, they're Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde. I know, listen, I've been doing this for 30 years, folks. Hallelujah. Maybe you're in the furniture business. You know, dealing with buyers in North Carolina that make the furniture, or in China, whatever. I know pastors. And I'm telling you, God is changing the whole system. Just like Jesus walked in and prophesied, okay? And they wanted to kill him. God is raising up prophets and prophecies that are not coming in with all these strange dreams and heresies and stuff. They're coming in with the word of the Lord, which is repentance in this hour. And they'll be butchered and martyred like others. Who cares? Hallelujah. God will take care of us. I literally have had ravens come in my backyard with chicken bones and bread in their mouth. In Israel. Dalina, we start laughing. You know, we're praying, you know, glory to God. Lord, we need finances. need some partners to give something. We have some operations going on. Can't talk about what it is. And cool, in comes the ravens one day with, with chicken and bread in their mouths. Hallelujah. I told the kids, well, listen, you know, if we don't have anything, we always wait for the ravens each morning. (laughs) It's so fun. I love it in Israel. So this is the type of people that God is surrounding his warrior bride with. Verse 6 of chapter 3. Who is this coming from the wilderness? Up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all scented powders of the merchant. Behold, it is the traveling couch of Solomon, 60 men around it, mighty men of Israel. All of them are wielders of a sword, experts in war. Each man has a sword at his side, guarding against the terrors of the night. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I love it. As we know, we are in a time of great shaking in our economy, in our nation. Um, Anybody that has any spiritual perception can tell, man, something does not feel good. And without a doubt, God is deflating the comfort zone of American Christianity. Things that we thought we couldn't live without, we can live without now. Amen? Amen. And it's during this time that we need to really press into God, amen, and not be alarmed because the worst thing that happen: we all lose our houses, live under a bridge, die of hypothermia, and go to heaven. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> no big deal. And without a doubt, we're seeing a Gog, Magog war building in Israel. I mean, I have to get back because I got to clean out our bomb shelter. We have a, Every house has a safe room or a bomb shelter. I've got to make sure it's this time equipped for chemical attack, not just scuds with TNT in it. So there's a lot of stuff going on in Israel, and uh, without a doubt, we're moving into a time. Uh, there's a Wall Street Journal reporter, an article. He hit it correctly on the nail on the head a few weeks ago after this UN fiasco, United Nothing fiasco. They should arrest a guy from Iran when he comes into the UN on the spot, man. And Chavez, all of them guys. Anyway, um, during that time, uh, New York Times article came out and said, that's it. There's only two options left for Iran. Either Israel bombs them or America does. And so I got concerned. You know, you hear a lot of stuff. You hear a lot of, you know, smoke and mirrors in the media. But when I was in the south in the desert and I saw in the Red Sea Israel's finest warships, uh, moving from the Mediterranean through the Egyptian Suez. First time in history it allowed that. And now we have our new, our submarines, Dolphin class, that can send out uh, nuclear-tipped cruise missiles. They're in the Red Sea, loitering off the Iranian coast, folks. All, we're getting really close. And I just know by the agitation in the men, when they're have, being called up and they know something's going on and having to say goodbye to the family and leave their jobs and you know, it's a reserve army in Israel. So I, I know that. When I see that, so I know something's going on, and it's going on right now. There's a lot of tension, and, uh, you know, we got a friend of mine who used to work for the CIA, and anyway, he was over there in Israel with an intelligence meeting, and the Israeli colonel was telling him, you know, what are you doing here? This next war is not going to be a ground war. It's going to be all missiles. I'm going to get my family out of here. So when you have some people talking like that, you know... Uh, This is coming. When I was in uh, Ulpan, uh, Hebrew language classes, and there was Jewish people from all over the world there. All of us were immigrants from Russia, you know, Europe, Canada, Brazil. It was just beautiful. Argentina, France. A lot of French Jews are moving to Israel right now because they see what's happening with the Muslims in, in Europe. Folks, you know, we're just 10 years away from Rotterdam, Amsterdam, almost having a Muslim majority. And, uh, it's, it's getting pretty hairy over there in in Europe and you go to London, you can see what I'm talking about. And, but don't think it's only over there, go to Toronto, fly into the airport and see all the Muslims coming in, into Canada. Oh yeah, they've opened the doors. The Canadians, they've really opened the doors to the Muslims right now. Um, anyway, so, you know, you look at what's happening and, and, uh, uh, you know that, uh. It's not good, and there's no positive spin we can put on it. There's going to be great darkness upon the earth. Uh, We look at what's happening in-house in the church, and so many ministries, just the wheels coming off and the character situation, and people inside are saying, you know, come on. You know, what's going on here? And it seems like a, a lot of churches are rudderless right now. My inbox is filled with Thousands upon tens of thousands of emails from simple sheep around the world just asking for directions. So if you email me, I'll try to get back to you, okay? <laughs> just understand there's a whole lot of big waiting line there. And I, don't even, I, I, I asked, told my staff, I don't even know how we're supposed to even answer these things. I mean, maybe just people just, you know, but one thing I notice is that people are looking for true shepherds to rise up right now. And most of that is happening in churches this size or smaller, Because the larger churches uh, have overhead, and it's very difficult. Even if a pastor wants to do it, it's very difficult to please everybody and keep the overhead paid. Either you want to please the people or please God. That's the bottom line, really, right now. And so we see this almost like a a catacombs ministry opening up again. Hallelujah. And uh, the, the biggest tragedy I see right now is the sheep have been so used to being fed by their pastor, kingship model, they don't even know how to hear from God. So you've got to recalibrate, amen? Start spending time with God, you know? Start spending time with, in the Word. Start spending time, you know, going back to the basics. Hallelujah. Because it, it's between you and Jesus in this hour. Hallelujah. There's very few fathers out there anymore. Most of the fathers I knew, I have to end up fathering myself now because they're in such sin. And you have to understand, I, I don't say these things just to try to drum up something. I'm mad at somebody. But when I have friends that are in ministry, that are in the river for many years, now going back to drugs, dealing drugs now. Okay, another good friend of mine who was in the river, powerful man of God from Australia. He's now an alcoholic, shipwrecked. I was stunned. I never would think anybody like that would ever do that. And so my job, the reason, listen, folks, I'm not here for myself. It's for you. I was only supposed to be in America for four weeks, get back home. My kids are in Israeli school. They need need daddy right now, okay? My son's in the Army. He needs me. I mean, my wife, there's a lot of stuff happening in Israel with the special forces. My commander has been calling me several times, when are you coming back? But I feel this urgency to travel. So this is the longest I've ever been away from my family. It'll be 12 weeks next week. This is the longest I have not seen my kids or family. And only God knows what our mobile cell cell phone bill is going to be internationally. But God's told me, I want you to blow the trumpet. And before I left Israel, I was in mourning. I didn't want to leave Israel. And I knew that something was going to happen. And he began to rifle in me this message of not my will, your will be done. And I said, Lord, I just want to please you. He says, well, if you want to please me, it's not what you want to do. That's going to please me. But I'll just briefly say this, and we'll conclude, is without a doubt, it says in Thessalonians that God is sending out an activity of error upon those who don't love the truth, not the devil. I encourage you to go to my website, download for 7 bucks the PDF file called The Mystery of Lawlessness." Read it. Study the scriptures. You've heard me talk about it a lot here. It's happening before our eyes right now. And it, you have to understand, as I read these scriptures from Isaiah, from Acts, when we began with, could it be, and I'm 100% sure, I think that God is doing the same thing to the church he did to ancient Israel. He is sending prophets with a message to cause people not to hear, not to see, not to understand. Because he knows what's in the heart of people. And he knows when a generation no longer wants to serve him. And it's time to close shop, so to speak. Turn off the lights and raise up a new generation. Yet in the midst of that, it's not total destruction. There's always a remnant left over in the stump God told Isaiah, there is a remnant, and it's with that remnant God starts the new thing. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, if God did that with the Jewish nation, who says He's not doing that with the church right now, according to Romans 11? I see it happening. So, our job now is man, how do we take evasive action to miss this grand delusion that not the devil, God is sending? You know, Deuteronomy 13 says God's going to send a prophet and a dreamer of dreams to test us. It's great. It's like, folks, we just have to look at the track record. I don't care how much they say they love God, or whatever. You guys prophesied this and it didn't happen. You guys do this. And now you're setting yourselves up as, you know, having extra biblical revelations and mystical experiences, having angels appear called Ema, called Mother. Well, this is crazy. I can go on and on and talk about this stuff. But, okay, we kind of put up with that, you know, because Americans are nice people. But now, you're trading your wives out for like horses, getting a new horse. This is crazy. What do we tell our kids? When last night, Pastor was talking about people coming on trains through Pennsylvania without phones, and hearing there's a prayer meeting in somebody's house. Come on, hallelujah. Like my wife, when she was a little girl in Russia, and they had to protect themselves from the KGB, and they would not tell where the next meeting was in the next person's apartment. Which flat in Moscow or Leningrad? And people would come, hallelujah, without telling each other where the meetings were? And they'd have to go out at night and break the, the ice in the river to baptize people? And the water would turn warm around that spot? Hallelujah. And my wife now weeps when she sees what's going on, saying, what has happened? I'll tell you exactly what's happened. It's real simple, folks, and you and I need to repent about it. We've allowed the kings to rule over us instead of God. Well, bless God, hallelujah. We're going to rise up. Hallelujah. Now, and then we look now at the rise of the homosexual community. Huh, <laughs> Getting pretty militant, huh? And then we look now at Obama and the administration. It's not really Obama. He's just more of a puppet. There's some guys behind him, Brzezinski and others that are really anti-Semitic. And it's causing Israelis who were all supporting Obama. Now, the only 5% of Israelis even trust the guy. Okay? It's like, what is happening? And you've got Glenn Beck, a Mormon, becoming the voice, you know. You've got Rush Limbaugh. I don't know what he's, what he believes, you know. And everybody's getting riled up. Okay, I see the problem and I know it's entertainment, a lot of those you know programs, but what are we gonna do as believers? Hallelujah. Just hold on. Sweet chariot. Come on to take me home. I mean we're we gonna wait for the, the rapture or something? No way. We're gonna rise up. Hallelujah. Begin in my life war. Hallelujah. Let God arise, let his enemies be splattered. And in this gross darkness, thick darkness, Isaiah 60 says, his glory is going to appear upon us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I say, okay, Lord. You know, people saying, well, let's blow the shofar against Obama. I said, well, somebody's got to prepare their way for the Antichrist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> why, why don't we let this thing run its course? Hallelujah. God is sovereign. Amen. He sets up kings. He brings them down. He's totally sovereign. Yeah. You come to think about it. Our nation wanted this. I mean, I talk to people, and they're like, what did we do? Well, he told you what he's going to do, and now he's doing it. So what's the surprise? The problem is we don't really have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying right now. So let's let this thing develop. Don't get your dandruff worked up. About what you hear on Fox News, the little foxes spoil the vine. You know. Don't get too worked up. Just when you see these things, lift up your eyes. Our liberation draws near. Our redemption draws near, and let's prepare for battle. Joel three, was he talked about last night? Hallelujah! First thing you need to do, it was real simple to prepare for battle. Okay, kiss your life goodbye. When I didn't want to come, I did not want to come over here. And the Lord said to me, "You need to obey." I said, "Okay, Lord." And I started studying Gethsemane experience—that the Word of God, Logos in flesh, God in the flesh. In the garden, we talk about the blood Jesus shed on the cross. What about the blood He shed in the garden? And Gethsemane means olive press in, in Aramaic. And He was in that garden, and this is what He first thing He said: "All things are possible. Take this cup from me." He didn't want to do it. And until we get to the point of being honest with God and saying, you know, God, I really don't want to do this. Seriously. I'm not going to fake it, God. I'm not going to try to pray you out of changing your mind here, try to say all these nice words in worship to you, try to butter you up, and maybe you'll change your mind. Yet not my will, thy will be done. But it took agony. But that's the sweet spot of his perfect will. The place of agony where you don't want to do it. Brother Scott, please pray for me. I'm having problems. I just, I'm going through these problems. No, I'm going to pray double problems. And then I'm going to pray uh, um, <laughs> woo, whipped cream on top of the pumpkin pie. I'm going to pray Job on you. Hallelujah. Why well, Are you crazy? No. That's the best place to be in. The yes, but not yet. Hallelujah. That place where your will is being grinded by God. I don't want this cup yet, not my will, thy will be done. That creates the whole domino effect to take down the powers of darkness. And then he comes to the disciples and are snoring. Why? They had a hard day. They got persecuted. Ooh. No, the reason they had a hard day is because of sorrow. They're sleeping because of sorrow, the Bible says. Why are they sorrowful? Because they wouldn't make Jesus a king and said he's going in to become the scum of the earth and crucified in the most humiliating way. No Lord, you're not going to Jerusalem. I'm going there three days, the Son of Man will be killed. No get behind me, Satan. See, man always wants to get the miracles going, get the crowds going. Okay, we've got this ministry going. We'll get you international TV coverage. Okay, yeah. And instead, we've got to dive to be the scum of the earth. Last scripture as we conclude, Second Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4. How y'all doing there? Am I going too slow, too fast? Am I making sense? First Corinthians 4, I'll tell you just a moment where We're going. First Corinthians 4, before I read it. So, the s- disciples were sorrowful. Can you imagine that? How many people, let's be honest, how many people have been sorrowful recently? But it's not, it's not a natural, it's a divine sorrow. You know why? It's because we thought God was going to do a certain thing and it hasn't happened yet. See? That's, our minds will play tricks on us, I'm telling you mind is crazy I tell you (laughs) they're sorrowful because they thought this apocalyptic grand finale of what the prophet said that the king it's going to be among us in millennial age I mean this is it it's coming in they didn't see the hidden scriptures of the son of man suffering at the hands of the priest so they're sorrowful they're sleeping Jesus says what can you not tarry one hour Pray that you enter not in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I've always wondered, those are, you can find that in Mark, you can find that in Luke. I've always wondered, what was that prayer to keep me, my flesh under, and my spirit full of zeal? 40 days of fasting. Come on. Deep intercession. Praying, putting on the Ephesian prayer armor, forwards and backwards. <laughs> Pleading the blood. Putting oil on all my doorposts. I mean, what is it? It's real simple. The prayer to keep us out of the temptation is, Lord, not my will. Your will be done. This is right before. It's right there in the context. I can't make the decision for you, but it's real simple. You turn the oven dial in your heart, the dial of the oven, past 400 broil to self-cleaning. The door locks. That's it. (laughs) Just wait until it's finished. Hallelujah. Don't take the 40-year plan. Take the 40-second plan. Hallelujah. A lot better. Turn your heart, Lord. I don't want. You just got to sit there and surrender. Okay, the circumstances I'm in, you're bigger than the devil. Maybe I caused a problem. Maybe the devil's attacking. Maybe my in-laws are acting to outlaws. Whatever. My goldfish committed suicide. I'm having a hard (laughs) day today. (laughs) Can we just stop trying to get out of it? And just look up and say, Abba, thank you. Abba, you know all things. Woo, hallelujah. And begin to count it all joy when we encounter these trials, knowing that our faith is being tested, hallelujah. Come on. And you train your senses to actually enjoy this workout, this training period, because you know you're going to get stronger out of it. And God's exposing any stress fractures in our fuselage, hallelujah, that we can't see, we don't know about. Come on, even our spouse doesn't know about, Hallelujah. And God begins to expose that, hallelujah, so we won't break up when the real heavy weight of glory comes in the last days. That we're in a training situation right now. Hallelujah! And new, new levels mean new devils? Praise God, hallelujah. Why do we always have to pray for the thorn of the flesh to leave? The thorn of the flesh that Paul encountered was not, you know, sickness. It was persecutions. Look, at the guy at Lystra was, was, um, was, was impotent. And he got healed. And they started worshiping Paul. The priests brought, you know, bulls to sacrifice to these guys. And then Jews came with a legal argument and a trout. And one verse turned, stoned Paul, and threw him out as dead. How could people that wanted to worship the guy turn around and kill him in one verse? Supernatural, thorn in the flesh. Wherever he went, there was persecution buffeting him, okay, and he couldn't get rid of it. And he finally recognized, wow, in my weakness, you're strong. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rejoice about weaknesses, insults, persecutions. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He understood the process. I want you guys to understand the process. He said, Pastor, I want you to agree with me. God gives me more trials this week. Hallelujah. Now I ain't talking about sickness and poverty and I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about character testing. Amen? Do you want to be perfect, complete, lacking nothing? Come on. Hallelujah. Then we gotta go through this thing. Because your life will count on it. They have the Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland. Which way is Maryland, by the way? There we go. <laughs> they have the naval weapons there. It's called Aberdeen Proving Grounds. And they, they test weapons systems and put them through testing so they won't misfire and cause problems on the battlefield. So what's wrong with us getting proved? What's wrong with his Abba? Abba, we pray for the board of education to the seat of learning. Hallelujah. We refuse to be a Spock generation. And as we allow that, then we're going to find his perfect will. And then it's going to be really quick to know, should I stay here or move to Brazil? Should I do this? Should I do that? Do this? Don't do this. Because you're going to be in that sweet conflict of, Lord, I don't want to do it, but I'm doing it. And you're drinking that cup. And that is our greatest source of joy. Hallelujah. And we come to a place where we enjoy it. We rejoice. Hallelujah. And we start to find out who the true shepherds are and who the monarchs are. Uh huh. And we start hanging out with some mighty men and women because you can't soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by a bunch of turkeys. And so your friendships start to dissolve, and God gives you new friends. Hallelujah. Woo! Warriors and warrioresses. Hallelujah. That you surround yourself with because you're, follow- you're following Jesus, the true shepherd, but you're following these under shepherds that are warriors on the David pattern. Hallelujah. And David only attracted, when he was in God's will, the warriors. Ha ha! Hallelujah. Then it starts getting really interesting. And these are the men that God is raising up and the women. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all. Be careful when people have prophet or apostle on their business card. (laughs) It's something you don't want to talk about. Men condemned to death. We have become a spectacle to the world. They're not popular. Their books will not be in Super Walmart and say they're Christian books. Both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Messiah. We are weak, but you are strong. You see that? We're going to go through these cups, these weakness. And it's not necessary for us. It's so death works in me, but life in you. Come on, folks. You're going through this. Why, oh, me? Why, God? Why am I going through this? So God can work in you to give something for somebody else. No! We are distinguished, you are distinguished, but without, we without honor. To this present time, we are both hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, and are homeless. We toil, work with our own hands. We are reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When we slander, try to conciliate. We become what? The scum of the earth. Hallelujah. This is Scum of the Earth, Ministries International. We welcome you today. Can you imagine a ministry logo, Scum of the Earth? (laughs) Still trying to figure that one out. I, I thought about this, too. You have, you know, the, the four faces of the, the four living creatures, is face of a man, face of a lion, face of an eagle, and a face of a what? Ox. So we hear about Eagle Ministries International, Lion of Judah Ministries. What about Oxen Ministries International? The logo got a big nose ring. I, have you ever heard Oxen Ministries? We've got Eagle Ministries, Lion Ministries. What about Oxen Ministries? Well, the Oxen... Are there? What do they represent? Work. work. Everyone wants to soar. Everyone wants to be a Lion King. What about work? Hallelujah. That says here fourteen and fifteen. You may you be comforted with this. We do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you, as beloved children. You have countless tutors or teachers in Messiah. You have very few fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became a father through the gospel. I exhort you, verse 16, be imitators of me. This is where we're going with this thing. God's glory will not fall in the last days on a kingship model. Okay? Now you say, can you give me more New Testament scripture? Yes. Let me give you the biggest one. You know where it says in Ephesians, you can read it later. And I I tried to finish twice already. Ephesians 4, God gave gifts unto men, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, right? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to keep you from the winds of the doctrines of men. So our job is not just to stroke you, our job is to warn you of the doctrines going on. Winds of doctrine by the craftiness of men. Okay? That's the bottom line. So, As we are in this hour, brothers and sisters, this thing is diving right now into scum of the earth message. God's glory is coming. He'll not pour his glory upon the ingenious, anyway, cleverness of man. He'll not pour out his glory except on desert situations and people that are nothing. Hallelujah. And that's why God allowed Paul to go through things. So he wouldn't take the glory. Hallelujah. And so when you're going through something, rejoice because God's about to do something in your life you could never imagine before. It's always the darkest before the dawn. Hallelujah. Whoa. So God, why am I going through this? Oh, God, you don't love me. He loves you. That's why he's doing it. If he's not testing you, that's why you better be scared. Because he says because people were lawless, he gave them over to an unclean spirit. Why are the sinners having so much fun? Because God gave them over to it. This is, you know, I, thought, I thought about this once. You know, the rich, some of these wealthy people that are just godless, they would have received the reward now. We'll be enjoying the treasures of heaven, hallelujah, for all eternity, and they'll be suffering the lake of fire. Think about it. Bill Gates, hope you hear the message. Wake up. So this new caliber of leadership coming up are people that are going to take great joy in the scum of the earth message. Now what is the scum of the earth? It's in the linguistic key Greek New Testament. It's the latrine outside the homes of the ancient Roman world that all the, was thrown into to wait for the rains to wash it away especially in the Middle East when water is very scarce and whatever water you have you use for bathing, mikvah, or to drink. Okay? So these places would build a lot of latrine material until the rains came and washed it away. And that residue left over the scum of the earth is what Paul says he is. Permanently marked as a nobody, as a pilgrim as a wanderer,
0: hated, reproached. Come on, folks. Hallelujah.
1: And that's the secret place. That's the true apostolic fathers. Hallelujah. And that's the message that God's raising up in this hour. And so let me ask, how are you doing? Saying praise God. I'm the dreg of all things, the scum of the earth. But you're so happy. Oh, that's, that's the hiding place. That's the secret place. Like Come on. Go back and read some books like, you need to read a book, you know, Corrie Ten Boone. What she went through in the concentration camp. You know, look at uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, What he went through in prison, suffering. He called it the, the cost of discipleship. And you read this stuff, and it just, man, it just feeds your spirit. I, mean, I go through 30, 40 pages. I start crying. My wife says, why can't you finish the book? I says, you're kidding. I can hardly finish half a paragraph. <laughs> and then I get a hold of the book from uh, uh, the heavenly man, the dear brother, uh, doctor, uh, not doctor. Give me a break. That's the thing I don't like. Guys that call themselves doctors, they're really not really true earned doctorates. Just conferred on them. Oh, please. Doctor of what? It's a David, uh, yeah, whatever, yeah. It's called Heavenly Man. If you, want, you go to Google, type it in, you'll see it. And you read the first book, which is very interesting, about what he went through just to have a Bible and how the young people are training themselves. When they go to Bible school in China, in the underground Bible schools, <laughs> they train them how to jump out of windows with handcuffs on how to Escape the Secret Police. I mean, I, I, I like that Bible school. Hallelujah. And then there's a second book that, uh, that they, there's a movement in China called Back to Jerusalem. And what they've done is they've, it's so powerful, folks. Because, and I really believe the true apostolic leadership of the church is in China for the most part right now. Or there's people in India or Africa we don't even know about. You know? But they started reading the Bible and realized that the last people to be visited on the earth is the Jewish people. And so they decided to become missionaries. And so all these young people are being trained, and they're sorted out by in, on foot 10 years ago across the Himalayas. They, everywhere they would stop, they would start home groups. They were told to build no buildings, only do home groups. Hallelujah. And they would stop places. You've got to read some of the stories. Like these two girls that made it to Iran and uh, had nothing to eat. And they wake up the next morning, there'd be mushrooms there at the entrance of the cave and eat those. I mean, all these wild Holy Ghost stories, you know, Book of Acts being rewritten, Mm -hmm. being continued, excuse me. And there'd be times in these, you're reading this thing, and where are they all heading? They're heading to Jerusalem on foot right now. Thousands upon thousands of Chinese missionaries young people ready to die for Jesus. And they're evangelizing the Buddhists, hallelujah. They're evangelizing, they're now in, in in northern India and Pakistan. I met a pastor from northern India that told me, I met the Chinese believers. They're coming in, hallelujah. They're leapfrogging each other. You know what I'm saying? They'll come in and they'll just they'll keep on moving. And they're moving westward, okay, east for us, but they're moving west to go to Jerusalem. And I saw them. I began to meet some of these people. Hallelujah. I'm pretty excited about, about what God's about to do yes. in planet Earth. Amen? Amen? So, as you so generously recognize that I don't like Lamborghinis or Ferraris. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'm not interested in that stuff. I mean, if we need something, it probably be a half-track or h H1 Hummer. But anyway... Uh, and second, take to heart this message. Go back and say, Lord, dismantle me. Hallelujah. Dwell upon this, and uh, watch what God does in your life. We've entered into the greatest time of miracles. I've had more signs and wonders and healings I've ever seen before, and it's based on just getting out of the way. Hallelujah. And, God told us to go into Israel and be stealth. First of all, because there's a lot of wolves there. And it's very dangerous spiritually to be in Israel because there's a, the same spirits that put Jesus on the cross are still there. And then we have the Muslims to deal with, which are just seven miles away. And, uh, and then we have also sometimes friendly fire to deal with. Believers there that, you know, friendly fire. But I did read, one thing I noticed being in Israel and coming back is the obesity problem in America. And it's now become the Center for Disease Control. If you want the article, email me. I'll forward it to you from John Hopkins University. has now said that the number one leading cause of death in America is obesity-related diseases. This is what alarmed me the most. They said, by 2015, you know roughly six years from now, 75 percent of America will be overweight. And of that 75, 41 percent will be obese. And the most alarming trend was children, and women from 18 to 29 were the fastest category. They say, What's going on in our country? Well, let's just let you know that what's going on and you have to deal with it and your appetite and you know, our sedentary lifestyle and whatever, that if you don't get a handle on it, diabetes two, I mean you name it starts cropping up, and then you're not gonna have energy, you're gonna be hamstrung. You know what I'm saying? Get a hold of your eating habits, amen. We all know we need to eat, but it's not just eating, it's burning off the calories you got to get your body up to a certain level, amen? You just can't let the engine start sitting in the... <laughs> you just can't let the car sit in the garage for three years and never start it, amen? you got to get it going, and you know God is going to help you. How many people hear uh, God's been telling you to start working out and lose weight? Oh, look at that, Pastor, 100%. Why? Because there's something coming. God wants our bodies to be in shape, amen? There's a scripture that says... By their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting, whose God is their belly. And oh. oh. I began to think about that. Did you know that dietary food laws or dietary uh, exercises has caused more problems than you could ever imagine for God's people? What's the number one stumbling block to the Jewish people? David said in Romans, Paul quotes it, let their table become a snare. What do you put on a table? Food. It's the dietary kosher food laws that are the stumbling block to the Jewish people keeping them from seeing Jesus. How did the Gentiles get into the church? Because God showed Peter... A vision of creepy crawlers coming down to eat it. Come on. Cornelius is praying, an angel appears to him, says, get Peter. Peter's having a vision up the road in Jaffa, okay? Tel Aviv. He sees, he didn't see a bunch of Gentiles come down saying, go preach to the Gentiles, they're ready. No, he sees a bunch of creepy crawlers, unclean things, seagulls, vultures, lizards, Gila monsters, whatever's in there, shrimp. Probably a lot of pig, too, wild boar. Who knows? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I've never eaten anything clean. Why? Because unless you're going, the only way you can win Gentiles and make believers and disciples, you have to have love fellowship, love feast, meals together, break bread. Come on, folks. You can't associate, you can't develop a tribal communal Family without food. You have to eat together. So it's the kosher dietary food laws that is the major obstacle of blindness of the Jewish people right now. Uh-huh. And then Paul says in the last days, beware, because there are doctrines of devils, forbid marriage, and eating, abstaining from certain meats which God has. So I had a question yesterday at lunch. They said, well, should we keep kosher dietary food laws because we love Israel? And I said, No. They make some great pork chops there in Tel Aviv. I'll take you if you'd like to go. <gasps> okay, listen, You need to eat healthy. However, Jesus is the Shabbat. Jesus is the law. Jesus is Passover. Jesus is the Yom Kippur. It's all in Jesus, okay? So you worship on Saturday or Sunday, it doesn't matter. What you eat, it's all sanctified. God sanctified it, Okay. Jesus declared all foods clean. But you become as a Jew to win the Jews, exactly. You become as a Gentile to win the Gentiles. So I remember I wasn't, can I keep going here a little bit? So Paul says there's doctrines of demons in the last days, 1 Timothy 4, connected with abstaining from certain foods. Have you ever noticed those people that said you've got to have green seaweed in your diet? They're all fear-based people. Have you noticed those people? Unless you have this, you know. Unless you have the fish oil from the salmon in Tahiti. <laughs> does the salmon have mercury <laughs> in the Norway fjords now? And yeah, Come on. And all it does is produce fear. More money for them, exactly. But I'm in Spain on a missions trip, okay, and we're witnessing to this Catholic guy. He has nine children. He's a pig farmer. And everybody in the family is saved except the father. And we knew unless we got the priest saved at the family, then we have problems, okay? So we go in there, and he graciously sets me and my team leader down. He's, he's a Texan, Irish guy. I'm Jewish guy. Anyway, we're sitting there, and he brings out out of his smokehouse blood sausage. I mean the real stuff that wouldn't pass FDA inspection, okay? We're in this little village, Catholic village in Spain, and we couldn't even tell people about Jesus because they all thought they knew Jesus. So we, all we do is go door to door and ask if there's any sick people here. And we prayed for him, God would heal him, and then we get him born again. It was really cool. And so we're there and the guy brings out blood sausage. And the Steve looks at me and says, Brother, you got a uh, you got a problem. He goes, Acts fifteen says we're not supposed to eat anything that has blood in it. But you got a double problem. You're a Jew, so I don't know what we're gonna do here. And I said, Steve, I know I don't want to eat this stuff. I don't even like this stuff. I don't even like pork. I was never raised with it. Yeah, yeah, nothing to do with religion or not. I just don't like it. Um what do we do? I said, well, if we don't eat this, this guy's going to be offended. This is his caviar. I said, let's eat it. Let's pray over it. God will sanctify it. Let's do it. And we prayed over it. Hallelujah. And he got saved that night. Hallelujah. Gloriously. Now, I didn't know, but the other team that we were all trained together, they were in Colombia at the same time. <laughs> and they were in a Colombian village, and the team leader is outside the hot, it was so hot they had to sleep during the day. And there was this little puppy comes up to the the tent. And uh, he's playing with the puppy. Nice puppy. And the lady comes up. You like? You like? Oh, yeah, I like it. And that night, they brought it with a mango in its mouth, okay? But to those people in the Columbia, that was a delicacy. And they I don't know which team I want to be on, the puppy or the blood sausage. But anyway, but they ate it and glorified God, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah, and had awesome meetings. So again, when it comes down to food and dietary full don't get too religious and legal about diet things, okay? Amen, and don't get carried away by these strange doctrines of what to eat, what not to eat, Hebrews 13 says. Don't let that stuff get inside of you, amen? But at the same time, learn to eat healthy. And, you know, and I guarantee you, you know, I used to try to try to figure out how to lose weight and diet and all these things and to get into all these vitamins. I started smelling like a vitamin, you know, <laughs> eating 15, 20 vitamins a day. You know, come on, you, you know, <laughs> just get indigestion. Doctor says you have acid reflux. It wasn't acid reflux. It was all those vitamins rolling around inside. <laughs> Stop that stuff. Start feeling better. Hallelujah. <laughs> But I noticed the more I began to exercise in the mornings, you know, before the kids wake up, the more my body would demand natural, healthy food. Come on, where before, I'd see potato chips and just, you know, munch on those. Now, ugh. see Krispy Kreme donuts? Oh, oh. Before? So if you just get back into... Some type of exercise, whether it be walking or swimming or spinning. Come on, hallelujah. I like it. I like your, your work ethic. Hallelujah. I like it. You don't even look your age. You look so much younger. No, she's next to me on the bicycle this morning over at the YMCA. Hallelujah. Great place to witness, by the way. Your body, after those exercises, is going to want to eat healthy. And you're gonna be at Perkins, you're gonna have a hard time looking at the menu, because it's like, oh man, that's yuck, so much sugar, yuck. You know what I'm saying? And then if you eat something that has some mercury in it, we'll just believe God, hallelujah, he'll take it. Let's not get off afraid, amen? amen? Hallelujah. Father, I delivered seven courses today, Hallelujah, for your people. We went from food, Papa, to dietary laws, to the judges versus the monarchy pattern, to the last days, to the Baal worship. Oh, Lord, hallelujah. Lord, I just pray that your people would grab this message, listen to it, study the scriptures out, don't take my word for it.
0: That your word will come alive in them and show them a macro pattern of what you're doing in this hour.
1: Thank you for the, the judges you're raising up. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: For being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, I'm listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming, running home to you now. In your name I pray, amen.
1: If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of
0: course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up His church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom.